I'm Bryce Miller, and this is Talking Atlas. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Talking Atlas. Today we will be, and by we, I mean me, because Jacob is not here this week. I will be, there we go, giving you the second installment in a series that we started by my calculations about five months ago and neglected to return to a little bit. Oops. And that is our Commander Archetypes series. With the retirement slash conclusion of our Monocolor and Commander series, Jacob and I really wanted some kind of outlet for still chatting about the format outside of the way that we talk about it every time a set comes out and there are cards that we want for our Commander decks. As such, we created this series where we focus on different playstyles of Commander deck in detail. This time around, I will be talking about Voltron. Voltron is a term used for a very particular subset of aggro decks in Commander. If you've played any amount of Commander, then you know that playing aggro is kinda hard. In a constructed format like Modern or Legacy or even Standard, there tend to be a couple of aggro decks that will focus on curving out with efficient creatures, starting to beat you down on turn one or two, and maybe even having a side of direct damage through burn spells to help close the gap. This works pretty fine in a 20 life format. It does not work as well in a 40 life format. A great case study in that statement that I just made is the fact that the 1v1 commander, often called dual commander or French commander, which is a competitive version of the format that we all know and love with a different ban list and tweaked rules, in the past year or so, brought their life total down from 40 or 35 to 20, because they realized that if they wanted to encourage a diversity of decks in a way that included aggro decks, then why not use the life total that all of those damage and aggressive cards were kind of designed for? Now, as for our own commander format, or the one that I exclusively play, I don't play any competitive commander, we have 40 life. That makes aggro a little bit more difficult, and that's where Voltron comes in. Quick aside, the term Voltron comes from the anime, and maybe there's a manga, I'm not sure, Voltron, which is a robot assembled of smaller robots. It's not uncommon in some Japanese media, it's a little bit tropey. If you, like me, grew up on Power Rangers, then you saw similar things. It has been adapted as a phrase in magic to refer to building up one thing really, really big. Related, there is a modern and legacy and pauper and everywhere archetype called Tron, which involves getting together the three Urza lands, Urza's factory, Urza's tower, and Urza's power plant, and by their powers combined, they produce more mana. That archetype is referred to as Tron, also referring to Voltron. But we're talking about Voltron, not Tron, so let me get back on track. There are a couple of reasons that Voltron is the premier aggro strategy in Commander. One is that Commander is a format that oftentimes is filled with removal and especially board wipes. In a multiplayer game, you can get a lot of bang for your buck out of destroying all creatures. After all, this is a format where people routinely create ridiculously large boards of tokens or Stompy Eldrazi or what have you, and reset buttons are really important and also frequently stop you from dying. As such, it's much easier to protect a single creature against board wipes or other removal. I'll be talking about shortly all the things that go into making a proper Voltron deck. Proper might not be the right term. What I think is the usual workable structure 
for a Voltron deck. But, spoiler alert, protection is among them. Making your commander or other Voltron target, it doesn't need to be your commander, indestructible is much easier than saving your entire board. And finally, another reason that aggro outside of Voltron isn't common in Commander is because there aren't really many commanders to support it. I think that the recent Firesong and Sunspeaker that we talked about last week and has its own controversies is a really cool example of a card that can make, in this case specifically a burn deck, a direct damage style spellslinger deck, viable in Commander, which is not usually possible without jumping through a lot of hoops. The final reason that Voltron is so effective in Commander is Commander Damage. Commander Damage is a rule engineered into Commander, I believe originally for the purposes of dealing with infinite life combos, for example. This rule states that if any one person's Commander deals 21 or more damage to a player, that player loses the game. You can't heal it back, it's almost like a poison counter if it only came from your Commander and had 21 as its total instead of 10. Also to clarify, this is 21 damage from one commander. It's not 21 damage by all commanders combined. Sometimes people think that. It should be pretty obvious that 21 is less than 40. Good? Okay, moving on! Next up is what I call the Holy Trinity. Sort of a trinity, and sort of holy, not really holy, of Voltron. There are three components, and then a bonus. Protection, evasion, and damage. Fun exercise. Look at legendary creatures that seem pretty combat-capable. In many cases, you will find that they already express one or two of these three and a half things. Protection is characterized as having Hexproof, in some cases maybe having Shroud, but that's harder to make work with Voltron, perhaps having protection from certain colors, like Animar Soul of Elements does, or it might be indestructible. Damage is pretty straightforward. Most creatures have power, this is true, but 21 damage is a little bit higher than the upper end of big creatures, and some commanders bring with them the ability to scale. Gyrul the Miststalker is an example of a commander that brings the protection and the damage, but not evasion or any kind of bonus. Gyrul the Miststalker is 2 red, white, green for a 5-5 legendary creature beast, he has Hexproof, and he gets plus two, plus two for each aura attached to him. Damage from the auras, built-in protection. Evasion is also very important because this is a format where there are a lot of creatures clogging the board. So if you are not unblockable, or don't have flying, or don't have intimidate, or maybe menace, but menace doesn't usually get the job done, then you'll need some method of getting through. Narset Enlightened Master is an example of a commander that brings protection, and bonus, but none of the other two things. Narset is 3 white, blue, red for a 3-2 legendary creature human monk with first strike and hexproof. And when she attacks, you exile the top four cards of your library, and until end of turn, you may cast any number of non-creature, non-land cards exiled this way. This means that Narset provides plenty of card advantage, and if you are building her for Voltron, there are lots of non-creature examples of cards that can help buff her, but she does not bring it along with her herself. To give one more example of a card that we'll be discussing a little bit later, Sigarda, Host of Herons, has both the protection and the evasion, and she has some serious protection. Sigarda, Host of Herons, is 2 green, white, white, for a 5-5 legendary creature, Angel, with flying and hexproof. 
She also has spells and abilities your opponent's control can't cause you to sacrifice permanents. Brief aside on this, sacrifice effects are one of the most devastating ways that Voltron decks get shut down. Since they are focused on building up a creature so large, there's a lot of investment on that one creature. If this were an aura deck, let's say, then you might have three or four auras on your creature to protect it and make it threatening. But very few effects in Magic prevent sacrifice in this way. In fact, to my knowledge, there are only four that exist that do anything related to stopping that. There's Sigar to here. There is Tajuru Preserver, who has the second clause, just the spells and abilities can't make you sacrifice things clause. Then there's Angel of Jubilation, which only prevents your opponents from paying costs that involve paying life or sacrificing things. And finally, there's Assault Suit, which we'll also talk about later, and among the soup of stuff that it does, also says that the equipped creature can't be sacrificed. Since this effect is so rare, and since it can be on your commander, and since she also has Hexproof, Sigarda is a very potent Voltron commander. Being a 5-5, she's also pretty meaty, but that's a 5-turn clock. You usually need a little bit more damage to get her through. Alright, that is enough of my explaining my, my theory, my pet theory of the Holy Trinity of Voltron. Keep it in mind as you're looking at Voltron commanders. I think it's a pretty accurate summary. Which also should be intuitive, because how absolutely broken would it be if all contained in one creature I had convenient methods of protection, evasion, and damage? It would be the best Voltron commander instantaneously. Related, if you have your own thoughts on this Holy Trinity idea or would like to talk about commanders that you think might fit or don't fit within this theory, you can totally find me on Twitter at walking underscore atlas. Chat with me about it. It'll be great. Moving on now to discuss a few of the different styles of Voltron decks. Because Magic does have a number of ways of making one thing really, really big. First up, equipment. Equipment Voltron archetypes are understandably pretty flexible, since the vast majority of equipment are all colorless. In our last episode, we had a section set aside for cards that are relevant to this format. I am going to not give that its own section, and instead, along the way, try to talk about a couple of key cards as they apply to themes or to particular commanders. We have a growing quantity of cards that interact with equipment and really exemplify White's love of it. One of the most famous, certainly, is Stoneforge Mystic. Stoneforge Mystic is one and a white for, I believe, a 1-2 core artificer. When she enters the battlefield, you may search her library for an equipment put it into your hand, and shuffle your library. She also has an activated ability of one and a white tap, put an equipment from your hand onto the battlefield. Stoneforge Mystic is probably one of the best equipment tutors out there. Probably the best, in fact. Perhaps evidenced by the fact that she is played in Legacy and banned in Modern. There are, however, plenty of other equipment tutors that don't see play in other formats that are perfectly fine for Commander. A remarkably powerful one is Stonehewer Giant. He's three white-white for a 4-4 giant with Vigilance and one and a white tap. Search your library for an equipment, put it onto the battlefield attached to a creature you control, then shuffle your library. Also, I will have you know I recited that from memory and point for point was correct. I'm very proud of me. Not surprised, but proud. Repeatable tutoring is pretty much always powerful. 
and I've seen plenty of times opponents have regretted not stopping repeatable tutors when they could. Stone Hero Giant is further useful because having Vigilance means that he could attack, then tap, then equip himself with the best equipment in your deck. Definitely a little bit more investment than Stoneforge Mystic, but absolutely worth it. As for the equipment cards themselves, there's definitely a certain class of equipment that are considered to be the best in the format. In that upper echelon is the cycle of sort of blanks and blanks. Sort of X and Y, I think is a, a more common method of referring to them. All of these swords are three mana for an artifact equipment with equip two. They all grant an equipped creature plus two plus two and protection from an enemy color pair. Body and Mind protects from blue-green, Feast and Famine protects from green-black, etc., etc. They also all grant two abilities, one each that is related to one of the two colors that it is referencing and gives protection from. As an example, Sword of Feast and Famine gives the equipped creature plus two plus two, and it has protection from black and from green. And whenever an equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, that player discards a card and you untap all lands you control. I mentioned before that Equipment decks are nicely flexible since equipment is colorless. You can put it pretty much anywhere. Unfortunately, this also means that cards like the swords are pretty expensive as far as Commander goes. The cheapest of them, sort of body and mind, is currently going for a market price of about $11. The most expensive is sort of Fire and Ice, which I believe sees some legacy play, and the cheapest printing of that is $47. Another high-profile piece of equipment that brings its own body is Batter Skull, 5 mana for an artifact equipment. It has Living Weapon. When this equipment enters the battlefield, you create a 0-0 germ and then equip the equipment to it. Equip Preacher gets plus 4 plus 4 and has Vigilance and Lifelink. For 3 mana, you can return it to its owner's hand and it has Equip 5. This is very popularly comboed with Stoneforge Mystic. You can imagine how that might be effective on turn 3 to have a 4-4 Vigilance lifelink that can regenerate itself or move to someone else. Now that is not to say that all equipment cards are going to burn through your wallet. We've had equipment around long enough that there are plenty of examples of powerful for commander equipment that is accessible and not really used in any other competitive formats. A great example of this is Argentum Armor. It's 6 mana for an artifact equipment with equip 6, and it gives the creature plus 6 plus 6, and whenever it attacks, you may destroy target permanent. It's definitely a little bit more top-heavy than Batter Skull or the Swords, but if you are using equipment tutors or cards like Stonehewer Giant to cheat it onto the battlefield, and there are plenty of methods of cheating it onto the battlefield, it is extremely effective. I should also point out that not all equipment tutors are expensive either. Steel Shaper's Gift from Fifth Dawn is a sorcery that lets you search your library for an equipment and put it into your hand, and that's only a 2 or $3 card. There are even more recent examples of cards that care about equipment that I will talk about a little bit later. Next, let's talk about auras. Aura decks tend to be less expensive than equipment decks for a couple of reasons. One is they are almost never colorless. As a result, the decks are a little bit more diversified. Also, there's the fact that when a creature with auras on it dies, you lose a lot of investment because every aura goes to the graveyard. This is where sacrifice effects are the most devastating. There are certainly fewer powerful auras than there are powerful equipment, if only because there are more hoops to jump through and more colors to need. The only existing 
Colorless Aura is a pretty big Voltron staple in Aura decks. That's Eldrazi Conscription. Eldrazi Conscription is 8 mana for a tribal enchantment Eldrazi Aura. Enchant Creature. Enchanted Creature gets plus 10, plus 10, and has Trample and Annihilator 2, which means that whenever it attacks, the defending player sacrifices 2 permanents. Plenty of Auras grant protection. One of my favorite is Shielded by Faith, which is 1 white white for an Aura. Enchant Creature. Enchanted Creature has Indestructible, and whenever a creature enters the battlefield, you may move Shielded by Faith to that creature. In Voltron decks, it's often difficult to reactively get protection on your creatures. In particular, a weakness of Auras is they can't be moved around. So let's look back at equipment for a sec. A very powerful piece of protection in equipment decks, or really in any deck, is Lightning Greaves. Two mana for an artifact equipment. Equip zero. Equip creature has Haste and Shroud. So it can't be the target of anyone's spells or abilities. Lightning Greaves is fantastic. You put it out turn two. And then, short of someone having instant speed removal, you can, for free, protect your creatures. That is a lot harder to do with auras, and that is why Shielded by Faith is particularly useful if you have a creature on the field that you can enchant previously. Or honestly, you can enchant anyone's creature and then play your own. A more niche piece of protection is Shielding Plaques. Two blue-green hybrid, so three mana in total, for an enchantment aura. When it enters the battlefield, draw a card. And Enchanting Creature has, it can't be the target of spells or abilities your opponents control. Now, it's worth noting, this is not the same as Hexproof. It does not grant the creature Hexproof. It says that it can't be the target of spells or abilities your opponents control, which means if you enchant your opponent's things with that, they can't target it. It's the same wording as Vines of Vastwood, for those that might know that card from modern or other formats. Being multicolored, Shielding Plaques does not show up in quite as many Voltron decks, but it is a really nice little card. And I would be remiss if I did not mention my favorite cycle of Auras, the Blank of the Blank Auras. For example, Shield of the Oversoul, or Favor of the Overbeing. This is a cycle of Auras from Shadowmoor and Eventide. They are all some number of generic mana, including zero, and a single hybrid mana symbol. There are ten, so one for each two-color combination. They all give plus one plus one and an ability if the creature is one color, and plus one plus one and a bonus if the creature is the other color. And the weird outlier is Edge of the Divinity, which is white-black hybrid for an aura that gives plus one plus two and plus two plus one, but no other keywords, so it's okay. The most powerful among these are the ones that fit into the Naya color combination. Shield of the Oversoul gives plus one plus one and indestructible if it's green, and plus one plus one, and flying if it's white. In white-red, there's Scourge of the Nobilis, two red-white for an aura. It gives plus one plus one and lifelink if it's white, and plus one plus one, and fire-breathing, but you can pay red or white hybrid to give it plus one plus oh if it is red. Finally, Runes of the Deus is four and a red-green hybrid for an aura, unsurprisingly, plus one plus one and trample if it's green, plus one plus one and double strike if it's red. Something I've really appreciated of late is that Wizards seems to be bridging some of the mechanical gap between aura and equipment, because they're very different ways of going about kind of similar things, and we've seen a lot more cards recently that reference both at once. So it is totally feasible to start building a general Voltron deck or general both equipment and aura deck using these cards to glue them together. Some examples of these cards... Open the Armory is a wonderful budget tutor. It's one and a white for a sorcery. Search your library for an aura. 
or equipment card, reveal it and put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. From Eldritch Moon, there's Sigarda's Aid. White for an enchantment, you may cast aura and equipment spells as though they had flash. Whenever an equipment enters the battlefield under your control, you may attach it to target creature you control. It essentially makes your equipment's auras. Now, since this card can cheat equip costs, it's usually more powerful for equipment, but it does assist both. A very, very cool commander that we'll be getting in Dominaria is Tiana Ship's Caretaker. Three white red for a legendary creature, Angel Artificer. What an excellent type line. She's a 3-3 with flying and first strike, and whenever an aura or equipment you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, you may return that card to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step. Another great commander for both equipment and aura themes is Audric Lunark Marshall. He's three and a white for a legendary creature, Human Soldier. At the beginning of each combat, creatures you control gain first strike until end of turn if you control a creature with first strike. The same is true for Flying, Death Touch, Double Strike, Haste, Hexproof, Indestructible, Lifelink, Menace, Reach, Skulk, Trample, and Vigilance. Also, he's a 3-3 human soldier. Audric can be built in a lot of ways, many of which are going to be bridging some extremes that I'm about to describe, but you can have a white weenie approach where you have a bunch of creatures that each have keywords, you can have an equipment deck, you can have an aura deck, or you can have all these together. An Audric equipment deck is especially useful because it's the only way of getting non-white keywords in mono-white. There are only one or two white cards in existence that have haste, for example. Look at a Chroma. Death Touch is hard to come by. Moving on now to plus one and plus one counters. Plus one plus one counter decks are definitely fewer and further between, if only because, well, not a ton of commanders focus on putting bunches of counters on themselves, but it is certainly a way that you can build a creature up. One of the first commanders that comes to mind here is Kresh the Bloodbraided. Kresh is two red, green, black for a 3-3 legendary creature, I believe human warrior. Whenever another creature dies, you put plus one plus one counters equal to its power onto Kresh. As a result, this bridges the gap between Sacrifice for Value decks and Voltron. Finally, there are other forms of Voltron that don't fit conveniently into these boxes. I will speak of them in more detail as I talk about the commanders I have in mind a little bit later on. Before getting into Commander by Commander, let's talk a little bit about the politics of Voltron, and really aggro in general. It's a little bit unfortunate, but playing a Voltron deck is not super politically advantageous in this multiplayer format. Perhaps understandably, because you take your one thing and you target it at someone until they die. If you wanted to, you could spread the damage around, but then you're going to have multiple people who are upset at you for damaging them and also haven't died so they can actually try to stop you. Since Voltron decks can often have one or more people gunning very actively for them, either because someone's about to die and needs to prevent that, or because the table is afraid of what might happen, I strongly suggest that you build your Voltron decks, keeping in mind that while you should protect your commander or your Voltron target as much as possible, you also should try to have contingency plans. That might mean ways of getting back the auras that you lost, for example. That might mean other strategies in the deck, maybe combos, that can help you win even if your commander is unthinkably expensive to cast. Any kind of backup plan. Alright, let's get on to some of the commanders, starting with equipment. And starting with the most popular equipment-themed commander, Kemba Ka Regent. She's one white-white for a 2-4 legendary creature, Cat Cleric. At the beginning of your upkeep, 
create a 2-2 white cat creature token for each equipment attached to Kemba Ka Regent. For this reason, this is a deck that I often refer to as Boots and Cats, because you put boots on her and you get cats. Kemba is nice because she is encouraging you to diversify your strategy right on the card. You can build her up really big and try to kill people, and or you can go wide with your tokens. Of course, some Kemba decks will focus on only putting cheap equipment on Kemba purely as a means of producing tokens, which is totally valid. Next up, we have a very different cat, Nizan, Revered Bladesmith. Nizan is 4 green-white for a 5-4 legendary creature cat artificer. When he enters the battlefield, search your library for an equipment card and reveal it. If you reveal a card named Hammer of Nizan this way, put it onto the battlefield. Otherwise, put that card into your hand, then shuffle your library. Whenever an equipped creature you control attacks, you may tap target creature defending player controls. Then Nizan's Hammer, which is basically a sub-commander of this deck, is 4 mana for a legendary artifact equipment. Whenever it or another equipment enters the battlefield under your control, you may attach that equipment to target creature you control. Equipped creature gets plus 2 plus 0 and has indestructible. In this way, Nizan is maybe one of the biggest breakers of my Holy Trinity theory, because if you get the hammer, you can immediately equip it to him, which means that you will have a 7-4 indestructible commander who will, with his own ability, when he attacks and when others attack, will help to kind of evade blockers by tapping them down, and also provides the utility of your equip costs being free, and instant speed equip if you can get them on the battlefield on not your main phase. So that seems pretty good. Next, let's talk about SRAM. SRAM, Senior Edificer, is one and a white for a 2-2 legendary creature Dwarf Advisor. Whenever you cast an aura, equipment, or vehicle spell, draw a card. This is another example of a card, of course, that bridges the gap between R's and equipment. You can build this multiple ways. He tends to most often be built as an equipment deck. Sometimes he's built as a combo deck with an archetype called Cheerios. Cheerios is called as such, it has a zero as the O, actually. It's called Cheerios because it's playing a bunch of zero mana equipment. They have zero for their costs, like a Cheerio, I, I guess to draw bunches of cards with this and with Pure Steel Paladin, and other cards, and probably Commander. Pure Steel Paladin is white-white for a 2-2, I think, Human Knight. Whenever you cast an equipment spell, draw a card, and Metalcraft, as long as you control three or more artifacts, equipment you control has equip zero. With methods of bouncing your equipment to your hand, you can kind of combo out in a very weird Storm-ish type deck. In fact, if you're playing a deck that is headed by SRAM or features SRAM in the 99 very prominently, you might find value in having that combo-y backup plan. The last equipment commander that I will reference is Zergo Helm Smasher. Two red, white, black for a 7-2 legendary creature Orc Warrior. He has haste, he attacks each combat if able, he has indestructible as long as it's your turn, and whenever a creature dealt damage by Zergo Helm Smasher this turn dies, put a plus one plus one counter on Zergo Helm Smasher. I would like to highlight Zergo because there are at least two very, very weird equipment-based archetypes that he can be used for very well. The first is Zergo Pinball, and that uses Assault Suit that I referenced earlier. Assault Suit is four mana for an equipment. Equip creature gets plus two plus two, has haste, can attack you or a planeswalker you control, and can't be sacrificed. But wait, there's more! 
At the beginning of each opponent's upkeep, you may have that player gain control of equipped creature until end of turn. If you do, untap it, equip 3. Regardless of if you are playing an equipment-themed deck, this means handing Zergo to everyone, forcing him to attack someone other than you, and he gets bigger when he kills things. It seems hilarious. I haven't seen it in action, but in theory, it seems great. Well, fun. I don't know about powerful, but definitely fun. The other odd Zergo archetype that is definitely less fun is World Slayer. World Slayer is 5 mana for an equipment. Whenever a creature deals combat damage to a player, destroy all permanents other than World Slayer. Equip 5. And since your commander is indestructible as long as it's your turn, your commander will survive. No other permanents will, usually. And you'll probably win by beating everyone else down. Moving on now to Aura's, I've already covered Ural and Sagarda, so let me just mention one other pretty interesting, in my opinion, Aura commander, Bruna Light of Alabaster. Bruna is 3 white, white, blue for a legendary creature, Angel. She has flying and vigilance. She's a 5-5, and whenever she attacks or blocks, you may attach to it any number of Auras on the battlefield, and you may put onto the battlefield attached to it any number of Auras that could enchant it from your graveyard and or your hand. How does Bruna interact with Auras? Let me count the ways. She can steal opponents' Auras. She can move your own Auras. She can free cast, sort of, Auras, and she can reanimate Auras. As a result, a very effective way to build a Bruna deck is with a lot of self-mill, because as soon as she attacks, you will get every one of those Auras back. It's also nice in an Aura archetype to have a commander who explicitly helps you recur the value of your auras when they do tend to frequently get removed. Moving on now to plus one plus one counter themes, and really this category is probably a little bit broader than I am giving it justice. I described Kresh, who bridges plus one plus one counters and death. These other two commanders bridge life gain and counters. First up, Karlov of the Ghost Council. White black for a legendary creature, spirit advisor. Whenever you gain life, put two plus one plus one counters on Karlov of the Ghost Council. White-Black, remove 6, plus 1 plus 1 counters from Karlov of the Ghost Council, exile target creature, and he's a 2-2. I have a Karlov deck, and he's frankly terrifying. One of the best things you can do is turn 1 Soul Sister, turn 2 Karlov. Soul Sister is a subclass of card, it's a fan term. An example of a Soul Sister is Soul Warden. She's white for a 1-1 creature. Whenever another creature enters the battlefield, you gain 1 life. Player turn 1. Play Karlov turn 2, he is now a 4-4. Turn 3, if you are playing some sort of white weenies style deck, and play one or two more creatures, Karlov is already way bigger than a 2-drop has any right to be. And then on top of that, he has the utility of removing creatures. Also life game related is the more recent Lycia Sanguine Tribune. 5 red, white, black for a legendary creature, Vampire Soldier. She costs one less to cast for each one life you gain this turn. She's a 4-4 with first strike and lifelink and pay 5 life, put 3 plus 1 plus 1 counters on Lycia, activate this ability only during your turn and only once each turn. I don't believe that Lycia has been too popular, but I'm very fond of her design. There are lots of different styles of play in Commander. Among them are Life Gain and Voltron. There are not usually many ways that those two meet, and this is a very weird way to do it, a cost reduction effect that is even more relevant in Commander because if she dies, her cost will increase. Well, namely, if you cast her from the command zone, 
when you next cast her from the command zone. She will be more expensive, but you can mitigate that cost by gaining life. It's also nice that she is similar but meaningfully different from Karlov in that she cares about the total life gained this turn, whereas Karlov cares about only individual life gain triggers. So Karlov wants you to do a lot of nickeling and diming people to gain one life. She wants you to do whatever works. And now, getting into that fiddly miscellaneous category. One of the cards in this category is among the most popular Voltron commanders out there, and that's Rafik of the Many. Rafik is one green, white, blue for a legendary creature, Human Knight. He has Exalted, which means that whenever a creature you control attacks alone, that creature gets plus one plus one until end of turn. And whenever a creature you control attacks alone, it gains double strike until end of turn. Exalted is the mechanic of Bant from Shards of Alara, and it makes for a very fun, mobile kind of Voltron. Unlike, say, counter themes, or equipment themes, or aura themes, you don't commit to building up one creature. You build a board state, and as long as one thing attacks, it gets the benefit of every Exalted trigger that you have. This means that Exalted-themed decks are a little bit harder to upset, unless you're destroying the world, blowing up all creatures or all permanents. Rafik in particular is quite devastating. He is easily capable of a turn 5 instant kill in combination with the card Finest Hour. Finest Hour is 3 white, blue, green for an enchantment. It has Exalted and says whenever a creature you control attacks alone, untap it. There's an additional combat step after this one. Let's run the numbers then. Turn 4, we play Rafik. He's a 3 3 with Exalted. Turn 5, we play Finest Hour and attack with Rafik. We get two Exalted triggers, which gives him plus 2 plus 2. He's a 5 5, and he gives himself Double Strike now. Boom, hits for 10. We untap him, we attack again. Two more Exalted triggers happen. He gets plus 2 plus 2, is now a 7 7 Double Strike. He is coming in for 24 commander damage in a single turn. Admittedly, he would need evasion to get through most times, but that's still pretty devastating. Rafik decks tend to be a little bit one note. But Exalted is cool. If you like it, do it. And you can supplement this theme with equipment or auras or whatever you want. Oh, and our last commander in this Marathon Archetypes episode is Shu Yun the Silent Tempest. He's 2 and a blue for a legendary creature, Human Monk. He's a 3-2 with prowess, which means that whenever you cast a non-creature spell, this creature gets plus 1 plus 1 until end of turn. And he has, whenever you cast a non-creature spell, you may pay Red-White Hybrid, Red-White Hybrid. If you do... Target creature gains double strike until end of turn. Shu Yun certainly does function with equipment or aura themes, but he also can be built as kind of a spellslinger deck, which is a little bit different and out there. In fact, many Shu Yun decks are full of almost exclusively cantrips, that is, cards that draw you a card that are very inexpensive. So on my turn, I might go cantrip, pay for his trigger to give him double strike, cantrip, cantrip, and I'm attacking you with a 6-4 double strike this turn. As time goes on, I hope that we will see more of these oddities, creatures that bridge some archetype with Voltron in an inventive way. That does it for all the points I wanted to discuss about Voltron and all the commanders that I wanted to mention, and my voice is pretty shot, so I'm going to wrap this up here. If you would care to find me online and perhaps discuss my Holy Trinity theory, you can find me on Twitter as walking underscore Atlas, or you can email the podcast at info at opalnebula.com. For more Talking Atlas, find us on our website, opalnebula.com. 
And finally, if you have enjoyed what you've heard today, please consider finding us on Patreon at patreon.com slash opalnebula. We'll do our best to make sure that the next Commander Archetypes episode comes a little bit sooner than this one did. And until next time, happy planeswalking. <laughs>